What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we've got a Tesla Q1 2021 earnings preview joined with the awesome, legendary special guest, uh, Meyer. Meyer, welcome to the show. What up, HyperChange? Yeah, great to have Good you back, back on. Yeah. Um, dude, your your tweets, your financial models, your understanding of what's going on under the hood of Tesla's financials is, is pretty much second to none. So really excited um, to dive down and see what you're expecting for Q1. Um, so I guess off the bat, we know the deliveries were super strong record quarter bucking that seasonality trend. Um, how are you thinking just on a really high level that flows through to the earnings and uh, income statement? Um, so I'm going to look like either a genius or an utter fool. <laughs> after we walk through this here, but I, I'm expecting a record profit. And not only that, but I'm expecting Tesla to handily crush the, the estimates that, uh, that Wall Street is putting out right now. Um, and I, we can walk through the math right now, but I think it's going to be, I think the entire downtime of, the, uh, of, of Plaid Model S and X is going to end up being a blimp on the radar. Um, because of the, the productivity gains that are coming out of Shanghai. And so that's going to be a big driver of what my forecast is for Q1. Is it, just to play devil's advocate though, we're losing Model S and X sales, which are the highest margin in theory, and then we're replacing mm -hmm. those with potentially lower margin China sales. So what gives you confidence that the margins will be there? Because um, we're having a hit to ASPs and then the highest margin products are going out. And I feel like they're still kind of in that ramping phase with Model Y Shanghai. So maybe margins could be hit there at the one time. What gives you confidence that the profitability will be strong? Well, because I, I honestly don't think that uh, SNX margins are all that great to begin with. Um, I mean, they're better than, than the Model 3 and Model Y. Um, but I think China... Uh, the margins out of China are going to be dramatically better this quarter than in prior quarters. And keep in mind, uh, Tesla has already been booking uh, the expenses from Shanghai, you know, in prior quarters because that factory has been up and running right now. But up until now, it's been running at below capacity, significantly below capacity. And for the first time, we've seen a big jump in productivity out of Shanghai. So because of that, we're going to see huge gains in operating leverage coming from China. And in my view, I think the net gains in total deliveries, we, you know, I think uh, Tesla delivered almost 185,000 cars in Q1 versus 180,000 in Q4. So we not only have increasing operating margins out of Shanghai, um, but we also have a net you know, increase in total units delivered. So I think the combination of those two things are going to be what overwhelm the losses from, you know, S and X. Yep. And just in terms of the granularity of the numbers, we have 10.74 billion in revenue last quarter with 575 million of operating income. Uh, where do you have a rough estimate of what you're expecting those top line uh, revenue and EBIT numbers to be when they report on Monday? So uh, I'm actually working from a slightly different angle this time. What I'm kind of doing in my you know, forecast for earnings is I, I start with what uh, happened at the earnings before tax line. So whatever the profit was right before taxes hit, um, that was 379 million in Q4. Now, the reason why I'm so bullish on Q1 is because there were a number of things that happened in Q4 that were one time in nature. And so we can walk through though each, each of those things. And what I'm expecting is for those one-time things that happen in Q4 to simply reverse in Q1 and not occur again. 
Um, so what was that? So Tesla reported 379 million of earnings before tax. Um, out of that, $100 million was just interest expense, a one-time interest charge because Tesla retired a bunch of debt really early. Um, so that's something that likely won't repeat in Q1 and going forward. There's also a step up in R&D expense of 156 million. And I think that was mostly driven by stock-based compensation, which again was one time in nature because there was a lot of, you know, uh, you know due to the stock of, you know, Tesla stock going so high, you know, at the, at the end of last year, um, and I think there's going to be a lot less of that, you know, and, and by the way, a lot of that is also year end bonuses too, um, as well as Elon's compensation. Um, so I think that won't repeat that portion of it won't repeat in Q1 of this year, of, of this year. But then the lion's share of the hit that we saw in Q4 versus the prior quarter was in my view, this is my estimation, there was a $300 million hit um, to gross profit. Um, primarily attributable to uh, tooling at General Assembly line number one, which is where SNX are built. Um, that was all due to plaid tooling. There was also uh, the Model Y single piece casting uh, tooling that was also recorded in Q4, as well as the Model 3 upgrade for the new heat pump that's now being included in the car. Um, so these are all comments based on what Zach uh, disclosed on the Q4 call. And what he basically said was, if you exclude those one-time you know, charges that came through in Q4, then gross margins improved. He didn't say how much they improved, but, they, but he simply said they improved. So what I did is I just nerded out on some of these numbers and I just looked at what did they do in Q3 of last year versus what did they do in Q4? And I found that you know, if you exclude the regulatory credit sales, um, Tesla did, you know, 23.6% uh, gross margins at the automotive level. And since Zach said that if you exclude these items, then gross margins improved. So I said, okay, instead of 23.6, maybe they did 24%, right? So what would be uh, the implied gross profit if they actually did 24% gross margins, excluding regulatory credits? And the number that I came up with was about 296 million. So if you round up, that's about $300 billion. That's my estimation of the one-time hit to gross profit that's attributable to all this new tooling that you know, came into Fremont. So in my view, that's going to not reoccur again in Q1 going forward. So if you were to add up, if you stack up all of these things, um, Tesla would have reported, oh, and there's also a $62 million uh, solar roof ramp cost, um, which is a lot smaller, but I'm just including that in here. So if you add up all of those one-time expenses that Tesla went through in Q4, they would have reported earnings before tax of $950 million. So $379 million reported, actual would have been $950 if you exclude all of these one-time expenses. Wow. Um, and it makes sense so, at a high level, because if you look at the huge increase in deliveries and revenue, then you're like, wait, why didn't profit increase? But it hits that one time thing. And now we're delivering at a level even higher. So it's, it's 
I think it's kind of fair to say that it'll just swing back way higher as the profitability goes. Now I'm kind of seeing what you're saying. And it's interesting yeah. that you're just talking about hardware costs and sort of like these one-time hardware costs and manufacturing improvements that play out through the quarters. But the other big thing I wanted to touch on was how much of this is Tesla's manufacturing getting better to boost gross margins in the long term versus FSD becoming a bigger and bigger piece of it with my kind of theory that they're about to overhaul FSD pricing, launch subscriptions, and then that's going to turbocharge this software component of the income statement that's going to have crazy effects on the margins going forward. But I feel like yeah. that's not what we're talking about here yet. But I'm, I'm really curious about your take on that. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. I think there's going to be an increasing contribution of high margin FSD to the bottom line of Tesla. So that's absolutely a trend that we're seeing here. I'm just taking what we know to be true from tidbits that we learned from the Q4 call and using that as my guideline to build an estimate for Q1. Um, one of the reasons why this is important is because even if you just take these uh, tidbits that have been disclosed, and if you simply assume no further gains um, from the increase in total deliveries, then you would end up with a number that's still significantly higher than what analysts are currently expecting. Um, so that's kind of what prompted this whole thing, um, that, that this whole exercise that I'm doing here, is that if you simply reverse you know, these one-time effects from Q4 into Q1, then that alone, the resulting earnings that Tesla would generate, assuming no change um, other than those things, is still significantly higher than what analysts are expecting right now. Um, right now, the consensus is uh, 77 cents uh, non-GAAP, um, which is roughly you know, $700 million of non-GAAP net income. If you walk through these numbers, I mean, I'm just laying out all the math here, but if you just simply reverse these one-time effects from Q4, you get a number that's significantly better than that um, in Q1. And uh, I, I think that you know, these, like I mentioned, the operating leverage gains out of Shanghai um, increasing FSD sales overall. I don't know if FSD take rate will necessarily be higher in Q1. It's, it's really hard to tell. We have to rely on estimates since Tesla doesn't disclose that. I hope they start doing that. I would love for Tesla to start breaking out, uh, you know, revenue and gross profit by, you know, hardware versus software. Yeah. And you had but, that as in, as a moonshot in the last episode. And I'm really curious to see, cause that's what I've been thinking of. I keep waiting for them to report and be like, well, how much of this is software revenue? That seems to be the biggest question mark on Tesla's financials right now. Yeah. I, I really hope they start doing that. It's just like Amazon, you know, Amazon discloses uh, everything that they make from amazon.com, you know, retail sales, but then they also disclose how much they generate from FSD or how much they generate from AWS. Um, so I hope Tesla one day starts doing that because we're going to, that's going to be important to show that, um, because I think there's not only going to be increasing profitability because of FSD, but also increasing profitability because the cars are actually getting, the, the factories are getting more and more efficient. And we can see like, for example, I have a, you know, I have a slide in my PowerPoint here. We, I think we looked at this last time. You can see the, the sheer difference. Um, in Fremont versus Shanghai, it's just so much more efficient, the layout. It's so much more um, intuitive. And because the layout of the factory itself is so much better than what we currently have in Fremont, that alone can save significant amount of time and therefore labor cost. So I think Shanghai is going to be significantly more labor um, you know, light and, and also CapEx light you know, compared to what we already went through with, uh, with uh, Fremont. So, you know, because we saw a big pickup in Shanghai productivity, I think that we will see 
um, you know, operating leverage overwhelm any losses that we would have seen had we not had, you know, Shanghai up and running the way we do right now. And it's interesting to see Tesla begin to export cars from Shanghai. Like they're opening up in Israel, they're exporting cars instead of exporting them from the US with this much older factory, higher cost structure base. Now we're exporting cars from China, maybe arguably a little closer geographically, but also with this margin premium. So I don't know. I'm, I'm also really curious just from a strategic angle, is Tesla going to consistently ramp the export from Shanghai? And is that going to be a huge part of the model? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think they are going to use it to deliver um, cars to not just China, but the Far East overall. So, um, and this is just temporarily, you know, Shanghai exporting cars to Europe, you know, until Berlin is up and running, you know, Gigafactory Berlin. Um, so that's going to save even more money uh, in terms of shipping costs, because it's a lot easier to ship from, you know, Shanghai to Australia than it is to ship from Shanghai to Europe. Right. So that's going to be even better for efficiency, you know, gains, you know, going forward after Berlin is up and running. Um, so, you know, if you come, if you put all of this together, um, here's my, basically, here's my Q1 forecast. Um, so go. we start with, so we start, so the way I, I've kind of done this is go from the bottom up, you know, other forecasts, like for example, James Stevenson, who I follow really closely too, his numbers are amazing. Um, and really all financial models, not just, you know, his, but all financial models start from the top down, right? We forecast revenues and then we, you know, continue down the income statement from there. Um, I kind of took a different approach, which is to start from Q4 numbers at the earnings before tax line, and then make all these adjustments that we saw from Q1 and then arrive at a net income figure. So here it is. We start with Q4 earnings before tax of 379 million. That's the as reported number. We add back the $100 million of the one-time interest charge. We add back what I'm forecasting to be a $180 million drop in stock-based compensation, right? From Q4 to Q1. We add back the $300 million gross profit hit from all of that, you know, one-time tooling that I mentioned. Um, we add back the $62 million solar ramp, uh, solar roof ramp cost. And then we add a $100 million net gross profit increment, right? And this is because uh, Tesla sold about 5,000 more cars. And uh, because of the gains in margins that I think are going to start coming from Shanghai. We won't see these margins necessarily match SNX. But all we need to see is a dramatic improvement in the numbers from Q4. Because keep in mind, Shanghai expenses are already recorded on the income statement in prior quarters. So the, you know, so the underutilization of those assets were already baked into the financials in past quarters. So if we see a big jump in the output from Shanghai, what we're going to see is a dramatic increase out of margins from Shanghai. So I think because of that huge jump in productivity out of Shanghai, that net gain in operating margins from Shanghai in my view, this is just my, my estimate, I think it's going to overwhelm uh, the losses that we saw from you know, basically halting all SNX production out of Fremont. Um, and on top of that, we see a total net increase in total unit deliveries by almost 5,000 units quarter over quarter. So in my view, the sum total of that, plus uh, in, you know, a slight increase in total FSD sales from Q4 to Q1, that gives me a total gross profit increment of about $100 million. That's my estimation. 
Um, so that gives you a Q1 earnings before tax of 1.12 billion. And then if you, if you use a 25% blended global tax rate, that gives us a gap net profit of about 840 million. And non-GAAP, which is if you add back all the stock-based comp, um, gives you about 1.293 billion uh, net profit or $1.14 earnings per share. That compares to Wall Street consensus of about 77 cents per share. So I, I, think, I think there's enough evidence for me to say that, you know, I'm pretty confident in, in these numbers. Maybe I'm a little bit optimistic with the net gross profit jump from, you know, quarter over quarter. Um, but I, you know, this, that's my gut. That's my intuition. That's what I'm going with the dollar 14 earnings per share for Q1 2021. And I, I wonder how you, you know, cause wall street's one thing, but it's also like, who cares what these wall street analysts estimate and versus what Tesla does versus that. Like, sometimes I feel like, like, it's interesting to know the consensus, but what really matters is how well is Tesla's business doing. Right. So I'm hearing you say like a billion in profit on like 1.1 billion in profit or so, depending on what metric you use on like 11 billion in revenue, we're looking at like a 10% operating margin, despite a lot of growth costs and sort of growing pains still being associated into that business and having zero or relatively super minor amount of software FSD revenue, we're already seeing these 10% operating margins. You know, can you just, for people who aren't familiar with, how good is that for the automotive industry? Because I feel like as a Tesla shareholder, we've kind of watched this flow of the cash flow. This is like, we all expected Tesla to be super profitable, but this is almost way more profitable way sooner than I would have personally expected. And I wonder if that's how you feel. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's significantly above, you know, beyond. In fact, when I first started modeling Tesla in 2016, I, I didn't forecast the company to be free cash flow positive until 2021. Um, and they've, they've already achieved it. And, you know, basically in 2019, I think it was 2019, which is the first year that they reported a positive free cash flow number and, you know, expanded thereafter in 2020. Um, so yeah, Tesla's way ahead of my own expectations when I first started, you know, looking at the company in, in, in detail. Um, but if you, um, the number that I like to, to, to focus on a lot um, more so than margins, is the return on invested capital, right? And we talked about this last time. This is, in my view, the most important number in, in all of finance. Um, it's more important than any other number because it's telling you what is the rate of, what is the internal rate of return that the company is generating on its capital base? And I did a little, a, a little exercise to kind of compare Tesla to Toyota. So Toyota, right, is in my view, and I think this is a kind of accepted throughout the auto industry, Toyota is the behemoth of the auto industry. It's significantly better than Volkswagen. It's better than GM. They're better than basically everyone on the planet. Um, Toyota is kind of the benchmark for all auto manufacturing efficiency. Um, because if you look at the numbers, right, Toyota only sells just slightly more cars than Volkswagen globally. I think they're almost, it's basically a virtual tie between the two in terms of total units uh, you know, produced globally. However, Toyota has enjoyed a significantly bigger market cap than Volkswagen. And the reason for that is because there's a big spread in not just the margins, the operating margins, but the return on invested capital. So what is that return on invested capital? Basically in a nutshell, not to go too far into it, it's your net operating profit relative to the total uh, capital base that you have. So basically your total uh, debt plus your total equity, or you can think of it in a different way, which is your net working capital plus your long-term assets. 
Okay, so this is a number in finance to understand, you know, what is the rate of return a company is generating on all the capital that they're deploying, right? So for example, if a company, you know, is, you know, has a billion dollars of capital and they generate a hundred million dollars of operating profit, that's a 10% rate of return on their capital base. That's the number that you really need to focus in on to understand what the value is of company. Because if your cost of capital is 15%, let's say, then that, then that company that's doing 10% ROIC is actually destroying value in the long run. So eventually all companies need to generate a return on invested capital that exceeds their weighted average cost of capital, right? So Toyota currently does nine, nine to 10% ROIC. If you look at any other company in the auto industry, they're nowhere close to that. I think GM you know, does four to 5%, um, Volkswagen does around five to 6%, um, Toyota does nine to 10%. And that is the standard uh, of the industry. Tesla right now does 6% as of right now. If you look at their EBIT relative to their total capital base, it's about 6%. Now, some, might, some people might criticize that number because that's including the regulatory credit sales. If you remove that, it's all the way down to 1%, right? So you can see the spread between Toyota and, and Tesla at 1%. You can argue, we can debate back and forth whether we should include or exclude those regulatory credits, but with the credits, they're at 6%. So they're pretty much neck and neck with GM with this 50% growth rate, right? No one else is doing that. Well, aren't we including CapEx um, on that, like invested CapEx is being included for future factories in that number, which technically yes. isn't generating EBIT yet. So it, it's artificially depressed because of the exactly. growth rate. That's exactly right. So you should also look at not just the number currently, but the rate of change of that number. How quickly is that ROIC changing? And we saw from Tesla, it went from negative 15% to now plus 6%. And that number, in my view, is going to continue to rise. I think it's going to match Amazon at 15% um, by the end of next year, uh, 2022. So this is the reason why Tesla trades at tech-like valuations is because not just the growth rate, and that's well-documented, everybody talks about that, but no one uh, talks about that return on invested capital number. That's the stealth number that we really should be focused on. And I think that's gonna match Amazon, which currently does about 15% uh, right now. Um, and Tesla's, I think, gonna get there by, you know, possibly this year, but I think more conservatively by next year, 2022. So that's, that's the big, big number that we need to focus on is that ROIC in addition to the growth rate too. I wanna throw like a triple black diamond question your way, which is once, what is your prediction with the FSD price increase? And then how does that change the sort of ROIC profile of what Tesla is as sort of this hardware manufacturer versus software company? And how do you tie that own back into your own investing thesis? If I'm assuming you're still super long Tesla stock, even though it's at these insane valuations. So that to me implies that you're projecting this, you know, savage increase in ROIC over the next year or two as this all unfolds. So I'm curious if you could just walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, look, the market is agnostic to how you make money, right? The market doesn't care as long as it's legal, as long as it's you know ethical. Um, they don't care whether you're selling hardware or if you're selling software. The market values equity based on your ultimately your you know in the short run and the medium term growth rate. But remember, no company can continue can grow at fifty percent indefinitely forever, right? Eventually, you hit maturity, and that's when ROIC kicks in, right? 
So, you know, if you have high ROIC, then the market will assign you a multiple that's similar to other high ROIC businesses. What are those businesses? It's tech, right? It's software. It's also, in some cases, you know, pharmaceutical companies, they also have very high ROIC. Um, so if you have an increasing mix of software revenue, then your equity, even though you're building widgets, right? Even though you're building very high capital, uh, you know, hungry projects like factories and huge machinery, um, if a bigger and bigger component of your EBIT is software, right? Um, your margins overall are going to improve and therefore your ROIC is going to improve over time. So if you do 15 to 20% ROIC, you're in the league of Amazon, right? That's, that's where Amazon is working out of. And that's including what Amazon generates from AWS, right? AWS is a huge you know, portion. If you look at, you know, for example, Amazon's total revenue, um, AWS is only about 15% of their total revenue, right? But AWS is 30% or more of their operating profit, right? So that's a big, big difference because of the margins, right? The margins of AWS is significantly higher than um, their retail sales, right? Um, so it's the same thing with Tesla. You know, as Tesla increases FSD sales, um, as the functionality of FSD continues to improve, as, you know, FSD version 9 drops, I think more and more people are going to be adopting FSD. Right? More people will buy FSD when they buy their cars or more people will upgrade um, you know, from you know, a non-FSD car. And that's going to you know, obviously benefit you know, operating margins and therefore will benefit the ROIC of the company. So that's why I think over the next you know, year to 18 months, I think Tesla will match Amazon in the return on invested capital. And a big part of that is from rising FSD contribution to operating profit but it's also other things too. It's also operating leverage gains, right? We're still operating at way below capacity right now. Um, Tesla has over a million units of installed capacity right now as of Q4. And yet in, in 2020, they delivered 500,000 cars. So we're operating at 50% capacity right now. So what that means to me is Tesla could just stop investing in any new projects going forward. We could just halt Berlin, we could halt Texas, we could halt any other projects and just rest on its laurels and just continue to pump out and double the production of 2020. And therefore that would all be pure operating leverage or pure profit going forward because they're already profitable at 50% capacity. What would happen if they're at 80 to 90% capacity, right? So that's all gains in margins and gains in return on invested capital. So I think the gains are going to come not just from FSD, but from increasing um, productivity of the existing factories that they already have. And, and it's incredible to think when you see these amazing earnings come out on Monday, remember that this is a business that's not at maturity, that's not optimized. You know, that feels like kind of what you're saying, but it's still going to look like, oh my God, this is incredible. But you even have to think in your head, like this isn't even as good as it's going to get. We have a clear roadmap to kind of incrementally keeping improving this. And so the last question I want to end it on is what are, what else are you looking for in the conference call? Anything interesting beyond the financials, business-wise, you know, FSD subscription, uh, the energy business, uh, anything about like that that you're going to be looking for on the call? Yeah, there's, uh, in fact, I think the top question on say right now is question on Dojo, right? Because I think Elon dropped that bombshell last quarter 
about how Dojo could possibly be opened up to anyone that wants to train their, their own neural nets. So that could be an AWS-like product, and that's mind-blowing to me um, because that's yet another new source of software revenue that, that Tesla could open up. I have no idea what the timeline on that would be, but um, it would be great if you know Elon would talk about that. I think that's that, I think that's hugely important, um, you know, for the future of the company. Can you explain um, that a little more? Because I still personally don't get the Dojo thing. Because it's not the computer in your car that's running around becoming a decentralized AWS. It's the supercomputer at Tesla's HQ that trains neural nets really well. That other companies will want to rent access to to train their neural nets. Assuming I guess Tesla has excess capacity on Dojo, where they exactly. build another Dojo for renting out. And so, what you know, is this? It just seems like such a black box to me. I'm like, couldn't someone else set up a server that does that? Like, I, I don't know. But it, a lot of people who are smarter than me seem to be very excited about what Tesla's bubbling up and scratching the surface of there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would probably defer that to people that actually know a thing or two about computer science. I'm not a computer science guy. I'm a finance guy, but I mean, from what I've gathered, I think it's, you know, since they're already building out this capacity to be able to train their own neural networks, right. Um, I think there will be a point where there is excess capacity once level five autonomy is mastered right by Tesla, um, if they, you know, if they do achieve that, they're going to have all of this computing power that they could then essentially rent out, you know, to other companies to train their own neural networks, right? And ARK Invest actually had this really cool graphic where they see that, you know, in the 1990s, um, you know, the internet or revenues attributable to the internet was, you know, less than 5%. And now it's more than, you know, it's more than half of all revenues, right, from tech companies, um, and now internet 2.0 is going to be, um, you know, this type of, you know, neural network training compute or internet 2.0, which will come from things like Dojo, like AWS already is doing, right? So, you know, as companies, you know, move towards AI and, you know, automation, there's going to be just an extraordinary level of demand for computing power you know, well, well beyond what is currently installed. So this could be a new source of revenue that Tesla could just tap because they're already building it for their own cars, right? For their own objective of mastering autonomy. You know, why not open that up to anyone else that wants to train their own, own neural networks for, you know, different applications, you know, out there. So who knows what that's going to lead to, but, you know, because Elon kind of, it was kind of like an offhand comment in, you know, just buried in the Q4 call. It was like in the middle of the call. It wasn't even the, the main subject at hand, but that kind of spurred, you know, all the speculation and it makes sense, right? It makes sense if they can, you know, open that up and just tap that as a new source of high margin software revenue, just like AWS. Amazing. Okay, wait, before I yeah. let you go, I have to, I'm going to get some numbers out of you. What do you think the FSD, okay, they roll out FSD, everybody has FSD who like bought FSD, like it works in the city streets, you can tap it, like the 2000 beta expands to everyone who purchased FSD. What do you think happens to the pricing of that feature when that happens? Like, what is the subscription cost? And what is it the buy upfront cost? Do you have two guesses there? I can give you mine. Uh, yeah. Uh, 15,000, yeah. I think it's 15,000 or so, maybe 12,000, but I think 15,000 on the upfront, I think they should really bump it up because it's a huge step in functionality. And then I think 399 or 499 for the subscription and people are going to think that's really expensive, but. Yeah, I, I think that's a little bit on the high side with the subscription cost. I think they're going to try to see it. It really depends. I think what they're seeing is, um, and I've, I've just heard tidbits on, on Twitter but it seems like there's a big difference between um, people that are buying FSD in Europe and North America versus in China. 
I think the Chinese market is still highly skeptical of FSD. And so there's a much lower take rate in China than, you know, elsewhere. So maybe to juice some of that demand, I think, you know, Tesla will make, I mean, who knows, maybe there's a difference in price between, you know, geographies, maybe the subscription cost in China might be a lot cheaper. Maybe that'll be closer to a hundred dollars or more, um, you know, converted to USD. So maybe there's that option too, that, you know, Tesla could pursue is make it, make it a lot cheaper for China to boost some of that demand up and therefore maybe convert people over to buying it outright. Um, but I think there will be at some point, I think there should be a difference in cost by geography. So that's one point. Um, yeah, I think 15,000, you know, buyout would is, is about right. Um, but it's going to take some time because I think version nine needs to drop and people need to see, um, all the videos and all of, you know, people on TikTok and Twitter and, and YouTube showing it and getting, you know, that higher buzz. Um, but it's going to take some time after they drop version nine of FSD for, for them to actually increase that cost from 10,000 to 15,000. But I think that's about right where it should go maybe by the end of this year or early next year. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Meyer. This was amazing. I'm going to put your Twitter link for everyone to follow you below. And yeah, I guess, you know, we'll all be watching Tesla earnings on Monday. Can't wait. It's going to be epic. Awesome. Yep. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah. All right. Peace out. Yep. See ya. Bye.